Section 6 of To the Nobility of the German Nation by Martin Luther Translated by C. A. Buchheim This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty-seven articles respecting the reformation of the Christian estate continued. Twenty-five. The universities also require a good, sound reformation. I must say this, let it vex whom it may. The fact is, that whatever the papacy has ordered or instituted is only designed for the propagation of sin and error. What are the universities as at present ordered, but, as the book of Maccabees says, schools of Greek fashion and heathenish manners? Second Maccabees 4, 12, and 13. Full of dissolute living, where very little is taught of the Holy Scriptures and of the Christian faith, and the blind heathen teacher, Aristotle, rules even further than Christ. Now my advice would be that the books of Aristotle, the physics, the metaphysics, of the soul, ethics, which have hitherto been considered the best, be altogether abolished, with all others that profess the treat of nature, though nothing can be learned from them either of natural or of spiritual things. Besides, no one has been able to understand his meaning, and much time has been wasted, and many noble souls vexed with much useless labor, study, and expense. I venture to say that any potter has more knowledge of natural things than is to be found in these books. My heart is grieved to see how many of the best Christians this accursed, proud, knavish heathen has fooled and led astray with his false words. God sent him as a plague for our sins. Does not the wretched man in his best book of the soul teach that the soul dies with the body, though many have tried to save him with vain words, as if we had not the holy scriptures to teach us fully of all things of which Aristotle had not the slightest perception? Yet this dead heathen has conquered and has hindered and almost suppressed the books of the living God, so that when I see all this misery I cannot but think that the evil spirit has introduced this study. Then there is the ethics, which is accounted one of the best, though no book is more directly contrary to God's will and the Christian virtues. Oh, that such books could be kept out of the reach of all Christians! Let no one object that I say too much or speak without knowledge. My friend, I know of what I speak. I know Aristotle as well as you or men like you. I have read him with more understanding than St. Thomas or Scotus, which I may say without arrogance, and can prove if need be. It matters not that so many great minds have exercised themselves in these matters for many hundred years. Such objections do not affect me as they might have done once, since it is plain as day that many more errors have existed for many hundred years in the world and the universities. I would, however, gladly consent that Aristotle's books of logic, rhetoric, and poetic should be retained, or they might be usefully studied in a condensed form to practice young people in speaking and preaching. But the notes and comments should be abolished. And just as Cicero's rhetoric is read without note or comment, Aristotle's logic should be read without such long commentaries. But now neither speaking nor preaching are taught out of them, and they are used only for disputation and confusion. Besides this, there are languages, Latin, Greek, and Hebrew, the mathematics, history. But this I leave to men of higher understanding. If they seriously strive after reform, all these things will come of themselves. 
and truly it is an important matter, for it concerns the teaching and training of Christian youths, and of our noble people, in whom Christianity still abides. Therefore I think that Pope and Emperor could have no better task than the reformation of the universities, just as there is nothing more devilishly mischievous than an unreformed university. Physicians I would leave to their own faculty. Lawyers and theologians I take under my charge, and say firstly that it would be right to abolish the canon law entirely, from beginning to end, more especially the decretals. We are taught quite sufficiently in the Bible how we ought to act. All this study only prevents the study of the Scriptures, and for the most part it is tainted with covetousness and pride. And even though there were some good in it, it should nevertheless be destroyed, for the Pope, having the canon law in scrinio pectoris, in the shrine of his heart, all further study is useless and deceitful. At the present time the canon law is not to be found in the books, but in the whims of the Pope and his sycophants. You may have settled the matter in the best possible way according to the canon law, but the Pope has his scrinio pectoris, to which all law must bow in all the world. Now this scrinium is oftentimes directed by some knave, and the devil himself, whilst it boasts that it is directed by the Holy Ghost. This is the way they treat Christ's poor people, imposing many laws and keeping none, forcing others to keep them, or to free themselves by money. Therefore, since the Pope and his followers have cancelled the whole canon law, despising it and setting their own will above all the world, we should follow them and reject the books. Why should we study them to no purpose? We should never be able to know the Pope's caprice, which has now become the canon law. Let it fall, then, in God's name, after having risen in the devil's name. Let there be henceforth no doctor decretorum, but let them all be doctoris scrini papalis, that is, the Pope's sycophants. They say that there is no better temporal government than among the Turks, though they have no canon nor civil law, but only their Koran. We must at least own that there is no worse government than ours with its canon and civil law, for no estate lives according to the Scriptures, or even according to natural reason. The civil law, too, good God, what a wilderness it has become! It is indeed much better, more skillful and more honest than the canon law, of which nothing is good but the name. Still there is far too much of it. Surely good governors, judging according to the Scriptures, would be law enough, as St. Paul says. Is it so that there is not a wise man among you? No, not one that shall be able to judge between his brethren. 1 Corinthians 6.5 I think also that the common law and the usage of the country should be preferred to the law of the empire, and that the law of the empire should only be used in cases of necessity. And would to God that as each land has its own peculiar character and nature, they could all be governed by their own simple laws, just as they were governed before the law of the empire was devised, and as many are governed even now. Elaborate and far-fetched laws are only burdensome to the people, and a hindrance rather than a help to business. But I hope that others have thought of this, and considered it to more purpose than I could. Our worthy theologians have saved themselves much trouble and labor by leaving the Bible alone, and only reading the sentences. I should have thought that young theologians might begin by studying the sentences, 
and that the doctors should study the Bible. Now they invert this. The Bible is the first thing they study. This ceases with the bachelor's degree. The sentences are the last, and these they keep forever with the doctor's degree. And this, too, under such sacred obligation, that one that is not a priest may read the Bible, but a priest must read the sentences. That, so far as I can see, a married man might be a doctor in the Bible, but not in the sentences. How shall we prosper so long as we act so perversely, and degrade the Bible, the holy word of God? Besides this, the Pope orders with many stringent words that his laws be read and used in schools and courts, while the law of the gospel is but little considered. The result is that in schools and courts the gospel lies dusty on the shelf, so that the Pope's mischievous laws may alone be in force. Since then we hold the name and title of teachers of the Holy Scriptures, we should verily be forced to act according to our title, and to teach the Holy Scriptures and nothing else. Although, indeed, it is a proud, presumptuous title for a man to proclaim himself teacher of the Scriptures, still it could be suffered if the works confirm the title. But, as it is, under the rule of the sentences, we find among the theologians more human and heathenish fallacies than true holy knowledge of the Scriptures. What, then, are we to do? I know not, except to pray humbly to God to give us doctors of theology. Doctors of arts, of medicine, of law, of the sentences, may be made by popes, emperors, and the universities. But of this we may be certain. A doctor of the Holy Scriptures can be made by none but the Holy Ghost. As Christ says, They shall all be taught of God. John 6.45 now the Holy Ghost does not consider red caps or brown, or any other pomp, nor whether we are young or old, layman or priest, monk or secular, virgin or married. Nay, he once spoke by an ass against the prophet that rode on it. Would to God we were worthy of having such doctors given us, be they layman or priests, virgin or married. But now they try to force the Holy Ghost to enter into popes, bishops, or doctors, though there is no sign to show them that he is in them. We must also lessen the number of theological books, and choose the best. For it is not the number of books that make the learned man, nor much reading, but good books often read, however few, make a man learned in the scriptures and pious. Even the fathers should only be read for a short time, as an introduction to the scriptures. As it is, we read nothing else, and never get from them into the Scriptures, as if one should be gazing at the signposts and never follow the road. These good fathers wished to lead us into the Scriptures by their writings, whereas we lead ourselves out by them, though the Scriptures are our vineyard, in which we should all work and exercise ourselves. Above all, in schools of all kinds, the chief and most common lesson should be the Scriptures, and for young boys the Gospel, and would to God each town had also a girls' school in which girls might be taught the gospel for an hour daily, either in German or Latin. In truth, schools, monasteries, and convents were founded for this purpose, and with good Christian intentions, as we read concerning St. Agnes and other saints. Then were there holy virgins and martyrs, and in those times it was well with Christendom, 
but now it has been turned into nothing but praying and singing. Should not every Christian be expected by his ninth or tenth year to know all the holy gospels, containing as they do his very name and life? A spinner or a seamstress teaches her daughter her trade while she is young, but now even the most learned prelates and bishops do not know the gospel. Oh, how badly we treat all these poor young people that are entrusted to us for discipline and instruction, and a heavy reckoning shall we have to give for it that we keep them from the word of God. Their fate is that described by Jeremiah. Mine eyes do fail with tears, my bowels are troubled, my liver is poured upon the earth for the destruction of the daughter of my people, because the children and the sucklings swoon in the streets of the city. They say to their mothers, where is corn and wine, when they swoon as the wounded in the streets of the city, when their soul is poured out into their mother's bosom? Lamentations 2, 11 and 12. We do not perceive all this misery, how the young folk are being pitifully corrupted in the midst of Christendom, all for want of the gospel, which we should always read and study with them. However, if the high schools studied the scriptures diligently, we should not send every one to them as we do now, when nothing is considered but numbers, and every man wishes to have a doctor's title. We should only send the aptest pupils, well prepared in the lower schools. This should be seen to by princes or the magistrates of the towns, and they should take care none but apt pupils be sent. But where the holy scriptures are not the rule, I advise no one to send his child. Everything must perish where God's word is not studied unceasingly, and so we see what manner of men there are now in the high schools, and all this is the fault of no one but of the Pope, the bishops, and the prelates, to whom the welfare of the young has been entrusted. For the high schools should train men simply to be of good understanding in the scriptures, fit to become bishops and priests, and to stand at our head against heretics and the devil and all the world. But where do we find this? I greatly fear the high schools are nothing but great gates of hell, unless they diligently study the holy scriptures and teach them to the young people. 26. I know well the Romish mob will object and loudly pretend that the Pope took the Holy Roman Empire from the Greek Emperor and gave it to Germany, for which honor and favor he is supposed to deserve submission and thanks and all other kinds of returns from the Germans. For this reason we are not to presume to make any attempt to reform them, and we are to consider nothing but these gifts of the Roman Empire. This is also the reason why they have so arbitrarily and proudly persecuted and oppressed many good emperors, so that it were pity to tell, and with the same cleverness have they made themselves lords of all the temporal power and authority in violation of the holy gospel. And accordingly I must speak of this matter also. There is no doubt that the true Roman Empire, of which the prophets, Numbers 24-24, and Daniel, chapter 2, verse 44, spoke. It was long ago destroyed, as Balaam clearly foretold, saying, And ships shall come from the coast of Chittim, and shall afflict Asher, and shall afflict Eber, and he also shall perish for ever. Numbers 24, 24. And this was done by the Goths, and more especially since the empire of the Turks was formed, about one thousand years ago, and so gradually Asia and Africa were lost, 
and subsequently France, Spain, and finally Venice arose, so that Rome retains no part of its former power. Since, then, the Pope could not force the Greeks and the Emperor at Constantinople, who is the hereditary Roman Emperor, to obey his will, he invented this device to rob him of his empire and title, and to give it to the Germans, who were at that time strong and of good repute, in order that they might take the power of the Roman Empire and hold it of the Pope. And this is what actually has happened. It was taken from the Emperor at Constantinople, and the name and title were given to us Germans, and therewith we became subject to the Pope, and he has built up a new Roman Empire on the Germans. For the other empire, the original, came to an end long ago, as was said above. Thus the Roman see has got what it wished. Rome has been taken possession of, and the German emperor driven out and bound by oaths not to dwell in Rome. He is to be the Roman emperor, and nevertheless not to dwell in Rome, and moreover always to depend on the Pope and his followers, and to do their will. We are to have the title, and they are to have the lands and the cities. For they have always made our simplicity the tool of their pride and tyranny, and they consider us as stupid Germans to be deceived and fooled by them as they choose. Well, for our Lord God it is a small thing to toss kingdoms and principalities hither and thither. He is so free with them that he will sometimes take a kingdom from a good man and give it to a knave, sometimes through the treachery of false, wicked men, sometimes by inheritance, as we read concerning Persia, Greece, and nearly all kingdoms. And Daniel says, Wisdom and might are his, and he changes the times and the seasons, and he removeth kings, and setteth up kings. Daniel 2.20 Therefore no one need think it a grand matter if he has a kingdom given to him, especially if he be a Christian. And so we Germans need not be proud of having had a new Roman Empire given us, for in his eyes it is a poor gift that he sometimes gives to the least deserving, as Daniel says, and all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, and he does according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. Daniel 4.35 Now, although the Pope has violently and unjustly robbed the true emperor of the Roman Empire, or its name, and has given it to us Germans, yet it is certain that God has used the Pope's wickedness to give the German nation this empire, and to raise up a new Roman Empire, that exists now after the fall of the old empire. We gave the Pope no cause for this action, nor did we understand his false aims and schemes. But still, through the craft and knavery of the Popes, we have, alas, all too dearly paid the price of this empire with incalculable bloodshed, with the loss of our liberty, with the robbery of our wealth, especially of our churches and benefices, and with unspeakable treachery and insult. We have the empire in name, but the Pope has our wealth, our honor, our bodies, lives and souls, and all that we have. This was the way to deceive the Germans, and with a double deceit. What the Popes wished was to become emperors, and since they could not do this, they put themselves above the emperors. Since then we have received this empire through God's providence, and the schemes of evil men without our fault, I would not advise that we should give it up, but that we should govern it honestly, in the fear of God, so long as he is pleased to let us hold it. 
For, as I have said, it is no matter to him how a kingdom is come by, but he will have it duly governed. If the popes took it from others dishonestly, we at least did not come by it dishonestly. It was given to us through evil men, under the will of God, to whom we have more regard than the false intentions of the popes, who wished to be emperors and more than emperors, and to fool and mock us with the name. The king of Babylon obtained his kingdom by force and robbery, yet God would have it governed by the holy princes, Daniel, Ananias, Azurias, Mizael. Much more, then, does he require this empire to be governed by the Christian princes of Germany, though the Pope may have stolen or robbed or newly fashioned it. It is all God's ordering which came to pass before we knew of it. Therefore the Pope and his followers have no reason to boast that they did a great kindness to the German nation in giving them this Roman Empire. Firstly, because they intended no good to us in the matter, but only abused our simplicity to strengthen their own power against the Roman Emperor at Constantinople, from whom, against God and justice, the Pope has taken what he had no right to. Secondly, the Pope sought to give the empire not to us, but to himself, and to become lord over all our power, liberty, wealth, body, and soul, and through us over all the world, if God had not prevented it. As he plainly says in his Decretals, and has tried with many mischievous tricks in the case of many German emperors, Thus we Germans have been prettily taught German. Whilst we expected to become lords, we have become the servants of the most crafty tyrants. We have the name, title, and arms of the empire, but the Pope has the treasure, authority, law, and freedom. Thus, whilst the Pope eats the kernel, he leaves us the empty shells to play with. Now may God help us who, as I said, assigned us this kingdom through crafty tyrants, and charged us to govern it, to act according to our name, title, and arms, and to secure our freedom, and thus let the Romans see at last what we have received of God through them. If they boast that they have given us an empire, well, be it so. By all means, then, let the Pope give up Rome, all he has of the empire, and free our country from his unbearable taxes and robberies, and give back to us our liberty, authority, wealth, honor, body and soul, rendering to the empire those things that are the empire's, so as to act in accordance with his words and pretenses. But if he will not do this, what game is he playing with all his falsehoods and pretenses? Was it not enough to lead this great people by the nose for so many hundred years? Because the Pope crowns or makes the Emperor, it does not follow that he is above him. For the prophet St. Samuel anointed and crowned King Saul and David at God's command, and was yet subject to them. And the prophet Nathan anointed King Solomon, and yet was not placed over him. Moreover, St. Elisha let one of his servants anoint King Jehu of Israel, yet they obeyed him and it has never yet happened in the whole world that any one was above the king, because he consecrated or crowned him, except in the case of the pope. Now he is himself crowned pope by three cardinals, yet they are subject to him, and he is above them. Why then, contrary to his own example, and to the doctrine and practice of the whole world in the scriptures, should he exalt himself above the temporal authorities in the empire, 
for no other reason than that he crowns and consecrates the emperor. It suffices that he is above him in all divine matters, that is, in preaching, teaching, and the ministration of the sacrament, in which matters, however, every priest or bishop is above all other men, just as St. Ambrose in his chair was above the emperor Theodosius, and the prophet Nathan above David, and Samuel above Saul. Therefore let the German emperor be a true free emperor, and let not his authority or his sword be overborne by these blind pretenses of the Pope's sycophants, as if they were to be exceptions, and be above the temporal sword in all things. 27. Let this be enough about the faults of the spiritual estate, though many more might be found if the matter were properly considered. We must now consider the defects of the temporal estates. In the first place, we require a general law and consent of the German nation against profusion and extravagance in dress, which is the cause of so much poverty among the nobles and the people. Surely God has given to us, as to other nations, enough wool, fur, flax, and whatever else is required for the decent clothing of every class. And it cannot be necessary to spend such enormous sums for silk, velvet, cloth of gold, and all other kinds of outlandish stuff. I think that even if the Pope did not rob us Germans with his unbearable taxes, we should be robbed more than enough by these secret thieves, the dealers in silk and velvet. As it is, we see that every man wishes to be every other man's equal, and that this causes and increases pride and envy among us, as we deserve. All which would cease with many other misfortunes, if our self-will would but let us be gratefully content with what God has given us. It is similarly necessary to diminish the use of spices, which is one of the ships in which our gold is sent away from Germany. God's mercy has given us more food, and that both precious and good, than is to be found in other countries. I shall probably be accused of making foolish and impossible suggestions, as if I wished to destroy the great business of commerce. But I am only doing my part. If the community does not mend matters, every man must do it himself. I do not see many good manners that have ever come into a land through commerce. And therefore God let the people of Israel dwell far from the sea, and not carry on much trade. But without doubt the greatest misfortune of the Germans is buying on credit. But for this many a man would have to leave unbought his silk, velvet, cloth of gold, spices, and all other luxuries. The system has not been in force for more than one hundred years, and has already brought poverty, misery, and destruction on almost all princes, foundations, cities, nobles, and heirs. If it continues for another hundred years, Germany will be left without a farthing, and we shall be reduced to eating one another. The devil invented this system, and the Pope has done an injury to the whole world by sanctioning it. My request and my cry, therefore, is this. Let each man see to the destruction of himself and his family, which is no longer at the door, but has entered the house. And let emperors, princes, lords, and corporations see to the condemnation and prohibition of this kind of trade, without considering the opposition of the Pope and all his justice and injustice, nor whether livings or endowments depend upon it. 
better a single foundation in a city based on a freehold estate or honest interest than a hundred based on credit yea a single endowment on credit is worse and more grievous than twenty based on real estate truly this credit is a sign and warning that the world has been given over to the devil for all its sins and that we are losing our spiritual and temporal welfare alike yet we heed it not doubtless we should also find some bridle for the fuggers in similar companies is it possible that in a single man's lifetime such great wealth should be collected together if all were done rightly and according to god's will i am not skilled in accounts but i do not understand how it is possible for one hundred guilders to gain twenty in a year or how one guilder can gain another and that not out of the soil or by cattle seeing that possessions depend not on the wit of men but on the blessing of god i commend this to those that are skilled in worldly affairs i as a theologian blame nothing but the evil appearance of which st paul says abstain from all appearance of evil first thessalonians five twenty two all i know is that it were much more godly to encourage agriculture and lessen commerce and that they do the best who according to the scriptures till the ground to get their living as we are all commanded in adam cursed is the ground for thy sake thorns also and thistles shall it bring forth to thee in the sweat of thy face thou shalt eat bread genesis three seventeen through nineteen there is still much ground that is not ploughed or tilled then there is the excess in eating and drinking for which we germans have an ill reputation in foreign countries as our special vice and which has become so common and gained so much the upper hand that sermons avail nothing the loss of money caused by it is not the worst but in its train come murder adultery theft blasphemy and all vices the temporal power should do something to prevent it otherwise it will come to pass as christ foretold that the last days shall come as a thief in the night, and shall find them eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, planting and building, buying and selling. Matthew 24, 38. Luke 17, 26. Just as things go on now, and that so strongly, that I apprehend lest the day of judgment be at hand even now, when we least expect it. Lastly, is it not a terrible thing that we Christians should maintain public brothels, though we all vow chastity in our baptism? I well know all that can be said on this matter, that it is not peculiar to one nation, that it would be difficult to alter it, and that it is better thus than that virgins or married women or honorable women should be dishonored. But should not the spiritual and temporal powers combine to find some means of meeting these difficulties without any such heathen practice? If the people of Israel existed without this scandal, why should not a Christian nation be able to do so? How do so many towns and villages manage to exist without these houses? Why should not great cities be able to do so? In all, however, that I have said above, my object has been to show how much good temporal authority might do, and what should be the duty of all authorities, so that every man might learn what a terrible thing it is to rule and to have the chief place. What boots it, though a ruler be his own person as holy as St. Peter, 
if he be not diligent to help his subjects in these matters. His very authority will be his condemnation, for it is the duty of those in authority to seek the good of their subjects. But if those in authority considered how young people might be brought together in marriage, the prospect of marriage would help every man and protect him from temptations. But as it is, every man is urged to become a priest or a monk, and of all these I am afraid not one in a hundred has any other motive but the wish of getting a livelihood and the uncertainty of maintaining a family. Therefore they begin by a dissolute life, and sow their wild oats, as they say. But, I fear, they rather gather in a store of wild oats. I hold the proverb to be true. Most men become monks and priests in desperation. That is why things are as we see them. But in order that many sins may be prevented that are becoming too common, I would honestly advise that no boy or girl be allowed to take the vow of chastity or to enter a religious life before the age of thirty years. For this requires a special grace, as St. Paul says. Therefore, unless God specially urge anyone to a religious life, he will do well to leave all vows and devotions alone. I say further, if a man has so little faith in God as to fear that he will be unable to maintain himself in the married state, and if this fear is the only thing that makes him become a priest, then I implore him for his own soul's sake not to become a priest, but rather to become a peasant, or whatever he will. For if simple trust in God be necessary to ensure temporal support, tenfold trust in God is necessary to live a religious life. If you do not trust to God for your worldly food, how can you trust to Him for your spiritual food? Alas, this unbelief and want of faith destroys all things, and leads us into all misery, as we see among all conditions of men. Much might be said concerning all this misery. Young people have no one to look after them. They are left to go on just as they like, and those in authority are of no more use to them than if they did not exist, though this should be the chief care of the Pope, of bishops, lords, and councils. They wish to rule over everything, everywhere, and yet they are of no use. Oh, what a rare sight for these reasons will a lord or ruler be in heaven, though he might build a hundred churches to God and raise all the dead. But this may suffice for the present. For of what concerns the temporal authority and the nobles, I have, I think, said enough in my tract on good works. For their lives and governments leave room enough for improvement. But there is no comparison between spiritual and temporal abuses, as I have here shown. I dare say I have sung a lofty strain, that I have proposed many things that will be thought impossible, and attacked many points too sharply. But what was I to do? I was bound to say this. If I had the power, this is what I would do. I had rather incur the world's anger than God's. They cannot take from me more than my life. I have hitherto made many offers of peace to my adversaries, but as I see God has forced me through them to open my mouth wider and wider, and because they do not keep quiet, to give them enough cause for speaking, barking, shouting, and writing. Well, then, I have another song still to sing concerning them and Rome. If they wish to hear it, I will sing it to them, and sing with all my might. Do you understand, my friend, Rome, what I mean? 
I have frequently offered to submit my writings for inquiry and examination, but in vain. Though I know, if I am right, I must be condemned upon earth and justified by Christ alone in heaven. For all the scriptures teach us that the affairs of Christians and Christendom must be judged by God alone. They have never yet been justified by men in this world. But the opposition has always been too strong. My greatest care and fear is, lest my cause be not condemned by men, by which I should know for certain that it does not please God. Therefore let them go freely to work, pope, bishop, priest, monk, or doctor. They are the true people to persecute the truth, as they have always done. May God grant us all a Christian understanding, and especially to the Christian nobility of the German nation, true spiritual courage to do what is best for our unhappy church. Amen. At Wittenberg, in the year 1520. End of section 6. Recording by Jonathan Lang. End of To the Christian Nobility of the German Nation by Martin Luther. Translated by C. A. Buchheim.